high-tech recording device here. Um, I don't know if any of you guys noticed this week, but Israel turned 60, um, which is amazing when you think about the history. Uh, Amazing that when you look at it from the perspective of the prophecy that said would a nation be born could a nation be born in a day and uh, it's also amazing when you think about how just the the events that took place around it that caused it to happen the the, the crushing that Israel had gone through over the, over the millennia for that matter and continues to go through but it was at that exact moment in time that the Lord got in the middle of uh, international events and allowed uh, Israel to be born. And uh, never before in the history of the world has a nation been wiped off the face of the earth uh, and then returned to its exact starting place, to its uh, place where um, its government is reestablished and recognized by most of the international community. It's never happened before. Oh, and it's an amazing thing. And uh, at the <laughs> at the risk of going Jack Van Impey on you, um, <laughs> and Rexella, where are you, honey? <laughs> um, <laughs> this week, uh, Bin Laden to dis- uh, to deliver a strong message to the Muslims. This is from the AFP. Uh, Al-Qaeda chief Osama bin Laden will shortly deliver a very strong message to Muslims. A website by Islamist militants announced on Sunday, uh, the Islamic Ummah nation, soon God willing, a very strong address from the Lion of Islam. Interesting, huh? When you think about who Christ is, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Sheikh Osama bin Laden, the internet site said, the announcement comes two days after an audio message posted on the internet in which bin Laden slammed Western leaders for taking part in Israel's 60th birthday celebrations. The participation of Western leaders with the Jews in this celebration confirms that the West supports this ugly Jewish occupation of our lands and that they stand in the Israelis' trench against us, he said on Friday. Bin Laden vowed that Muslims would battle on for Palestine. We will continue to fight against the Israelis and their allies, and we will not give up one inch of Palestine, God willing, as long as there is one sincere Muslim on this earth. U.S. President George W. Bush was among top leaders who joined Israel's 60th anniversary celebrations, an occasion marked by Palestinians as a catastrophe. Bush addressed the Israeli parliament on Thursday at the start of a regional tour praising the Jewish state, hailing what he called unbreakable ties between the two nations. The speech in which Bush made only brief mention of Palestinian statehood aspirations angered the Palestinians. Their leader, Mahmoud Abbas, said on Sunday in Egypt after talks with Bush, uh, he is quoted saying, Bush's promises to set up a Palestinian state in the full sense of the word, are empty promises, bin Laden said in Friday's message. Sorry, that was bin Laden's quote. The al-Qaeda chief has taken credit for the September 11th attacks in the United States, which killed nearly 3,000 people, triggered the U.S.-led invasion of Afghanistan, 
In a previous message on March 20th, bin Laden urged Muslims to support the insurgency in Iraq, listen to this, as the best way to help the Palestinians and accused Arab leaders of backing Israeli attacks on the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. Uh, the, tw- uh, the Saudi-born bin Laden has a $25 million bounty on his head, but his whereabouts are unknown, so if anybody happens to know where he's at, he could get paid. Um, I find this fascinating because, you know, and I don't, again, I don't want to go all Jack Van Impiania or, you know, I know sometimes it weirds folks out. But when you look at the way the word says that this is all going to go down and you get to cross-reference the evening news with the Bible, it's amazing. And what's amazing to me is that this guy, okay, this whack job hiding in probably Pakistan somewhere. We all wonder what he's after. What's he looking for? Is what, you know, you hear guys, I still remember to this day, Dan Rather, you know, waxing philosophical. But what does he really want? Why is he really so mad at us? And we think about, is it because of, you know, the West's and our, you know, arrogant policies and all of these things we wonder about. And sometimes we just have to listen to what he's got to say. And what he's got to say is because we support Israel. That's pretty much it. We don't have to dig any deeper than that. That's it. And what is interesting to me is that our support of Israel, in my opinion, is the very thing that has allowed us, caused us as a nation. We were the very first nation to recognize them as a nation in 1948 when that happened. The United States, and it was because of us that they are where they are. And, uh, and I love it when I hear Bush say things like, we have an unbreakable tie with this nation. And I love it because God said something some 6,000 years ago to a guy named Abraham. And he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And when I think about that, I think, God bless America because we have blessed Israel. And my prayer, and I hope would be your prayer, is that as Bush, who is, you know, give, get, like, or, like him, love him, somewhere in between him, his policies so far towards Israel have been great. There's a couple things that he's been suggesting lately that I would like to be praying about. One is that he wants to set up, he believes that setting up a Palestinian state is important. And they have gone so far, he and Omer both, the president of the prime minister of Israel, that separating Jerusalem is part of that. And I want you to know, not an option. Okay? And here's the great news, okay? We don't have to panic. We don't have to freak out because, man, God is still in control of this whole thing, okay? Absolutely he is. When you go even into you know Ezekiel and you look at, okay, I'm going to pull Gog and Magog down from the north. and from It's God. He says, I'm going to put a hook in his mouth and pull him in. Okay, God is in control. Okay, So he's not falling off the throne going, oh, crap, I had no idea that Bush was going to say that. You know, he's not freaking out. It's like, oh, now we've got to change everything. So you guess someone get a whiteboard and a board, book the, the conference room. We've got to refigure this. But by the same token, we're, we're called to pray for our leaders. And my prayer is that Israel doesn't give back any more land. Okay, Every time, and if you've been around, you can go on... Actually, you can't go on our podcast site, but you could at one point. Because um, I taught about this a couple of years ago. Throughout history, whenever Israel, in the past you know, 60 years now, has given up land, 
It's done them nothing, does them no good whatsoever. So when you hear these guys say on the news, when you hear these talking heads, these blowhards, whether they're Republican neocons or right or left-wing, you know, liberal pinko commies, um, whatever they are talking about Israel, saying we just got to give up a little bit of land and then they'll be happy. Okay, it's not true. It's never been true. It's not true now. And it won't be true in the future because they're on record what they want. They want Israel crushed. They want Israel pushed into the sea. Okay, you know, Ahmed Ahmadinejad uh, in Iran, Presidente, is on record this week. Israel is going to be annihilated. Okay, they don't want a little bit of land. They want it over with. And every time that Israel has given up land, every time, it results in all we all they do is give them a closer shot. That's all it is. We've Giving them an extra 50 miles, which gets them 50 miles closer to fire rockets inside of Israel. So I would say to you and to me, just keep them in your prayers. God says that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for that with my children tonight as we put them in bed. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Knowing that, in fact, the name Jerusalem means peace, which is sort of ironic. It's also very much a God incidence, right? It's, it was God's will that that would be what it would be called. And someday that's where Jesus, he's not coming back to D.C., He's not coming back to Ontario. <laughs> he's not coming back to Russia. He's going to come back and he's going to change the topography of Israel. And he is going to rule and reign from there. And I say that, you think, well, Darren, that's just great. What does that have to do with Hebrews 5? The answer, uh, everything. Because what we're doing here as part of conduit is sort of what the word says when it what it means when it says to redeem the time for the days are evil it talks about that the days are short that we're to act as knowing this in fact over and over again in the epistles whether they be of john or paul or peter they would say things like knowing that time is short then we should live this way and i think it serves as a great reminder for you and for me to remember you know what the days are short we don't know Maybe it's another hundred years, maybe not. I, you know, the prophecy that has served well over this past few decades is when Jesus says that the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree, speaking of Israel becoming a nation again, would not pass away. Before would not pass away, and they would receive the return of the Son of Man. Now, the funny thing is that you know theologians then, like we, you know, like we, like I'm a theologian, like they do. We'll wrestle over what is a generation. Biblically, there's there's proof of a generation being a hundred years. There's of sixty years, of forty years. Different references of what a generation is. The Lord didn't give us that. Okay, He didn't say give us a day. What He did give us was He said that we wouldn't know the day or the hour. Okay, but He said we would know the season. Right when the leaves begin to change, we know that fall is on the way. We know the season is changing. We don't know the exact day that the exact fall falls into place we mark one on the calendar but you know how that goes it's you know we don't know those things right it just fall sort of just falls into place as does winter and summer and spring and as does the returning of christ we don't know the day or the hour and i love it because that passage in that for so long right, we used to uh thief in the night remember that in fact there was some really good 80s movies where they would scare the crap out of you for jesus uh uh, and get you saved. Like, I got saved like a lot. <laughs> Cutting people's heads off. And, um, but the, that whole line, thief in the night, if you read that in Second Thessalonians, it, isn't, it says, not you, not I. If we're believers, 
it won't be like a thief in the night for us. Because we'll know the season. It won't be that kind of a surprise. We'll be able to, we'll be expecting it because all these things line up. And that's what we see right now. We see, I was just reading the other day that never before in the history of the world has a power transfer happened so quickly, so effectively, and so thoroughly as what's going on right now. And they're referring to the United States, which is the Western power, the Western dominance that we've experienced for however many hundred years now, hundred and some change, is shifting dramatically to China. China, within side of 10 years, is going to surpass the United States as far as gross domestic product. Their even use of oil is will outpace ours. Their economy is exploding. I was watching MSNBC and they were showing uh, this McDonald's expansion and building McDonald's in China because it's this great untapped market. But put one of the jobs that they have to have are folks that stand in the drive-through to tell them what to do at a drive-through. They don't know. They've never heard of this before. So they're like pulling up and like pulling in the wrong way or getting their bags and then pulling them to the parking lot and going inside and eating. They, like, they don't understand the etiquette at all. So they got guys out in the parking lot helping them through to teach them how to go to McDonald's. Because McDonald's sees money there, they're going to China. There's an article that I, I pulled off today that uh, Russia, a totalitarian regime enthralled to a czars who's creating the f- new fascist empire. Putin, who has stepped down after being president for eight years, has installed himself now as the prime minister, where he's in control of the military. Russia, whose economy ten years ago was in a shambles, is now on fire, exploding in prosperity at the top. And it's exploding in prosperity at the top because of why? Oil. <coughs> We're paying for it. That's the misery of the whole thing. The fascinating irony is that our enemies in the Middle East, our enemies in Russia, man, we're paying for it. Isn't that fascinating? So Russia, who is a massive part of this, listen to this, listen to the quote. They're talking about the people of Russia, why they're not resisting this change. And they say, in a nation that has not tasted, and with very few exceptions, does not expect or demand justice or freedom, all that matters is stability and security. And what did it say in Revelation that they would in, in the days when they would be crying for peace and safety in those days? What do we, in America we want freedom and justice for all. That's what Superman wants. That's what we want. <laughs> the Russians they don't know that what they want is stability and security. That's it. They want peace and safety. That's what the Bible said that they would be saying in those days. That big nation so is what we're doing here matter? Absolutely. What we're doing matters. We don't know how much time we have left. And you know what? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll die at a ripe old age. I'm glad I got daughters. You know what I'm saying? Sons, they don't want to, you know, what are they going to do? But if you're old and you got, you know, your daughters, will, hopefully anyway, will take care of me. Someone to change my diapers when I'm 100 and, you know, all that stuff. Um, maybe I'll live then, maybe not. I don't know. But I don't think so. And the, the great news is, is I'm in good company because Paul thought that too. So did Peter and James and John. And I don't mind being in that company. 
And I often wonder, you know, if they thought that, how much more can we? Because i got to tell you, I've been through this whole thing, and I've run out of stuff that has to happen. You know? I, I can't find anything else. Now, the beauty of it is is that this, the return of Jesus himself, the first return, the, um, what we call the second coming, when Jesus returns, that's a signless event anyway. Those events in Matthew 24 that are the signs, that is for when Jesus comes back after the tribulation period. Okay, that's that period of time. The rapture of the church is spoken of the Thessalonians. That is a signless thing. So, I mean, that could happen at any second. But even with that, we're out of stuff. I mean, the last thing left is a temple to be rebuilt. Uh, and that doesn't have to happen before Jesus returns. That happens you know, during the tribulation. So we're just out of time. And that's an exciting thing to me. And it's exciting because of what we're doing here. What Jesus said to his disciples, to his friends, for all to hear, for us to this day, was that when the husband returns, that when the, the, the vineyard owner returns, that we would be found working on his behalf. That we wouldn't be the sluggards. That we wouldn't be, you know, I own a small company and I'm so glad that when I leave and I go out of town that I know that everybody's working just as hard as when I was there. And you know how it is when the boss is out of town at the temptation. So I can kick off, go home a little early. I don't have to work as hard when they're not here. And that's what Jesus says. I don't want that. What I want to come back to is to find you working, to find you laboring. And what conduit has done in my life is I feel like for the first time, maybe ever, that the work that I'm doing on behalf of the kingdom actually kind of matches up with what he asked us to do anyway. Because the tendency when we set up systems, especially inside of a church setting, is we get kind of caught up in the systems. We got to get to men's group. We got to get to women's group. We got to get to the young marriage group. We got to get to the middle-aged marriage group. We got you know all these things that are going on. These programs and things that have to happen, and we get so caught up in that that we miss the beatitudes. We miss the whole big picture of it. Not that any of those things are inherently wrong. You, you understand, right? It's not wrong to have a men's group at church. But when that's all we're doing is getting together again to hang out and to whatever, and we don't have time to do the real work, then I feel like we've missed the point. And what I feel like Conduit has done for me, and maybe hopefully for you guys, is create a platform, create at least a, a, uh, a starting point uh, you know, there was somebody that sent me that Bill Hybels quote, right? That, you know, we've all been preached at for so many years. We know what we're, you know, we're just looking for somebody to help us to find a place to do something. You know, because I think I look around this room and I see folks that are a lot like what I was. And that's that, man, I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what. So I didn't do anything. Analysis paralysis. And what Conduit has done is given me a spot to say, okay, enough of that nonsense starting right now, you know? And we drew a line in the sand in September and we've seen God move and we've seen 20 some thousand dollars flow through here. Uh, I was working with Maddie tonight. That's why I was a little late getting here. My daughter, um, who uh, is somewhat of a procrastinator at her young tender age, was doing her social studies project and what she wanted to do it on was on Haiti. And so we were working on getting pictures and 
uh, doing you know statistics, and she has to do a presentation tomorrow. And we were talking about that, and we went. To, we were able to go to Restoration Ministries because what I was really trying to get across to her was to say to her, Maddie, what what you can't do is just announce the problem, but say, man, there's a solution. We can do something. Even at your age, Maddie. Even at, you know, there, I was at their little. Uh, Friday assembly pride time is what they call it and uh, a couple of young boys got up and I actually want to email and I know one of their fathers to maybe have them come here some night and share but these sixth graders get up and they're talking about giving to blood water mission you know which is something that Mandy introduced me to uh, several years ago and uh, so at that age right there's fifth and sixth graders that are doing something for the kingdom and what what I was trying to say to Maddie was the solution is that if we all just did something Right, everybody. We all do what Paul said, which is according to what we're able. We don't have to do. Uh, we don't have to do what we're not able. We just have to do what we're able. And if everybody did it, everybody, then the problem could be solved. Right? I mean, honestly, there's enough going on here that we could actually begin to change the systems and we could begin to change the world. But the problem that we've really experienced as a church in America, on the whole, there are a lot of churches doing a lot of amazing things. I'm just talking about. On the big picture of church in general, is we've got so caught up with building our new sanctuaries, so caught up with installing our multi-million-dollar multimedia presentations and lightings, and you know all these things and stages that rise up out of the floor while the band plays Majesty and you know um, <laughs> the big spinning faith shield on top of it. And, uh, I used to live across the street from that one. Um, I get really spun. It was hysterical. Like, hey, look at that. Um, six flags over Jesus. They just needed a roller coaster. To, um, but we get so caught up in that. I don't mean. I mean, look, it's what it is. What it is. But I'm just saying, we get so caught up in that stuff that we kind of miss the big picture, right? And the big picture is that Jesus told us, you know, to, in the Beatitudes, right, to to love one another. He told us to in John 15 that to. Uh, that if we loved him, that we would obey his commands, which sounds like this big, creepy, weird thing. If you don't, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're like, well, that's kind of weird. But what he's saying, what is his commands? To love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God. That was it. That's all we had to do. And the problem, I think, is that we don't really define. I didn't define love as anything more than I just really like you. I think you're a nice person, and I'm going to be nice to you when I see you in public. I love you, right? And Jesus said that there would be fruit in our lives. And we've taught about it here. We've talked about what that fruit looks like. And that fruit isn't something that we force to happen. It's a natural result of our relationship with Christ. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is what? Love. Not fruits, plural. Fruit, singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And those other things that are listed behind it, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, those are the flavor, the texture, the size, the color, the look of love. So what does your love look like? Looks like it's patient. Looks like it's long-suffering. It looks like it holds no wrong, you know, no account of wrong done against you. Jesus says that, look, it's easy to love your, you know, your friends. It's hard to love your neighbor, but it's by that that they'll know that you're my disciples, by your love that they would know. Not by the fact that you can be nice to those that are nice to you, but by the fact that you can come here on a Sunday night 
and give money that you don't have to give, that you can block out a week of your time in August that you don't have to give, and go meet some children that have nothing to give back to you. The story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was answering a question when they said, okay, that's great, but who's my neighbor? Right? To love your neighbor as yourself. And they asked that question in a really fascinating way. They asked it not in a expanded way, but in a how can I narrow down who my neighbor is? Who's really my neighbor? And what Jesus was saying was not who's your neighbor, narrow it down, is it the person who lives right next door to you, but expanding it to what person is God brought in need across your path. Bingo, that's your neighbor. And if it happens to look like a Samaritan, which in that day was their enemy, that would be walking along, the good Samaritan. The funny thing is, is Jesus used him to give the the good story, right? The guy that was the hero of the story was the guy who had been the equivalent of, in our world, maybe like an Iraqi or an Iranian, or, you know, like the people who are like, oh, I can't believe at all. But Jesus used that to kind of shock them into reality to say, who is your neighbor? And the guy that's the hero that came along that did the right job it's something that should really wake us up because what Jesus is saying to you and to me at the, in that statement is just this, that conduit is about it's about finding the, the need in front of us and just addressing it. And as a team, we can do more than we could have done separately. As a group that meets together to search the Scriptures to find out what God wants to say to us, we can't just sit on it and become spiritually fattened and constipated and just we got to get out into the world and do something with what we've been learning with what we've been chewing on with what we've been obtaining and that's what it's really come down to to, to me anyway and as i look at hebrews chapter 5 what i see is jesus we talked about it last week and we're not going to get into hebrews 5 obviously very far We talked about last week that Jesus was our high priest. Jesus, who is returning as the king, is our high priest. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is related to us as a prophet. A prophet is who? A prophet is somebody who speaks from God to us. And he's referred to, in this instance, as a priest. Not only any priest, but the high priest. A priest is someone who speaks from us to God prophet from God to us, priest from God, from us to God, the high priest. I was thinking about it today and just kind of praying and chewing on this and it was something jumped out at me and that was that who was the first person that they took Jesus to after taking him out of the garden of Gethsemane? Does anybody remember? They've arrested him, they've taken him, the first person they take him to. Does anybody remember? The high priest, Caiaphas. The high priest, And here's the real high priest standing in front of the supposed high priest. Right? Isn't that amazing? But the high priest, the way that God intended it for us to be was that we ourselves would be able to communicate and to commune with Him. That was the original design in Genesis. And then in Exodus, when God initially brought the people out of Israel, it was His heart to say, I, I want to make you a nation of priests. I want to do something different with you. Make you a nation of priests. And what did they say? Whoa, we don't want to hear your voice anymore. That spooks. Spooky me. Spooky me? <laughs> Put that down. 
Conjugated a new verb right there. That spooks us. God, we don't want to hear your voice. Let you just talk to Moses and Aaron, and then we let us know how that goes, right? And then we'll get back to them. And God, who is a gentleman, says, okay, my heart is to make you a nation of priests, but so be it. So he sets up this situation where the priests, which would become from the tribe of, uh, of Levi, which was the, of Aaron, would be the priests now. Now, they were no different. They were no better. They were no smarter. It's the tribe of Levi. It was God's divine providence in them, which is why it says that every high priest is selected among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God. It says uh, in verse 4 that no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So this nation of priests that are no holier, no less holy, they're the priests. They're the ones that God chose from that lineage to be the priests. And he set up a system with which that when you or I, if we were uh, part of the Jewish nation, needed to go to get our sins forgiven, whether we needed to go and make an offering or a thanks or what, you know, all the things that are outlined in Leviticus, we would go to the priest. Okay, yet you follow this. Now, the high priest, okay, was the big kahuna. Okay, he probably had like the really tall hat. And his gig was a little more brutal because his gig was once a year on Yom Kippur, he would go in the only time of the year, the only person that would ever go into the Holy of Holies, into the, the inner sanctuary, okay, where the ark was, and to make you know, restitution for sin was the high priest. And you've heard the stories, maybe if you've been around church for a while, that if they didn't do it right, you know, they would tie a rope around their ankle and, and a bell around it so that if they were in there too long and the bell started, you know, stopped ringing, uh, that they would know that he, he uh, didn't quite do it right and died in there and they'd you know, pull him out by a rope. That was the high priest that they were talking about. And that was not God's perfect okay, will. It wasn't his perfect plan. His perfect plan happened when Jesus showed up on the scene and was not only a king, which he is, okay, not only a prophet, which he is and was, right, on earth, but as the high priest, which is where he serves right now. The high priest that you and I, it says in chapter 4, I mean, the, the end of chapter 4, going in 16, going into verse 1 of chapter 5, that is, a, that is one flowing thought that says... Because of this, we can go boldly to the throne of mercy and grace. Mercy, right? Getting what I uh, don't, not getting what I deserve, which is mercy, and grace, which is getting what I don't deserve. I can go boldly into that because I've got a high priest in Jesus that he didn't said he didn't choose it. God chose him. A high priest that is sympathetic with me, that understands because he was here. It doesn't matter what clothes he wore. doesn't matter what time period he was in. doesn't matter that he didn't have a Facebook profile, that he couldn't text a message. What matters is that he is relevant to you. He's relevant to me because he gets it. Because he walked around in a man's suit. And he was tempted in every way like you and I were without sin. We talked about that last week. That Jesus was tempted, it was an option, and he chose not to do it. Amazing. Amazing that he didn't. Because it was an option. A temptation, unless it's a temptation, can't be a temptation. Right? That's very deep. So deep it's shallow. 
Jesus, our high priest. And what's happening to the Hebrew people here, to the Jewish people, which is why this is called the book of Hebrews, because this was written specifically to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who were uh, of Jewish descent who had become Christians, who were being tempted and being drawn back into. They'd be strolling down the streets of Jerusalem and, you know, the smell of fresh sacrificed beef, which we like to call that a barbecue. But, you know, it smells good, right, when a cow is cooking. Maybe getting drawn back into the incense, and oh, you know, I kind of miss the old days. I wonder how Caiaphas is doing that old, that old buzzard. I wonder how he's doing. We should go see what's going on over at the temple. And they're being drawn back in, and what the writer of Hebrews, whom I believe is Paul, is saying to them is, "No, no, 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 no! You got to quit that. You got to cut that crap out. You got to pull it back to the middle of Christ and Him crucified and Him risen." And it's our temptation to always go back to the, to the stuff that doesn't matter to the big buildings, to the stage that comes out of the floor and the band that plays majesty, you know. All that stuff that we get drawn into that takes our eye off the ball, that takes, gets us distracted and makes us forget that this is all about Jesus, our high priest, our champion, and what he did for us. And what we should do in response to that. It says that he's able in verse 2 to deal gently with those who are ignorant, which count me among ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices. This is talking about the original priest, not Jesus, for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, and this quoting in Psalm chapter 2, and I think Psalm either 110 or Psalm 10, I can't remember. That's why I should bring notes. You are my son. Today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's an important statement right there, the in the order of Melchizedek, because if you were a Jewish person reading this, you'd be like, ah, ha, he can't be a priest. Because he's not a descendant of Aaron. If you're from the tribe of Benjamin or where Jesus was aligned to the tribe of Judah, you couldn't just switch teams midway through and say, okay, I want to be a priest now. Right? So the Jewish people would have rejected him outright as a priest because he didn't fit the Aaronic priesthood. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. And Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is saying, no, 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 no. He's in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who is a priest that we don't know just a ton about. Genesis 14 is really the only reference we have of this guy. This guy that we're going to dive really deep into this in Hebrews chapter 7 because it goes back to it again. But just suffice it to say that what Paul is saying here, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, in case it's not Paul, is that he does count. He can be a priest. He can be a priest that is even pre-Aaron. He's the priest in the order of Melchizedek, somebody that even Abraham worshipped and even Abraham paid his tithe to. Jesus, that's where he came from. And what does it mean for you and me? Simple. 1 Peter 2.29 says that we are a royal priesthood. Jesus is our high priest. We are priests in the priesthood, so to speak. We're in the hood. The priesthood. (laughs) In the priesthood. one of those things that's just going to come back and haunt me someday. In the priesthood, we're 
not God, we're not, but we ourselves can go into the throne room of grace. We can approach the high priest. We can approach the Father because we don't need any more a priest to go do that for us. My apologies to our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, but you don't need it. I mean, it doesn't hurt anything, I don't guess, but you don't have to. I can go to the throne of grace. I don't have to get a guy in between me and God. He says, I can do it because I am justified. I am righteous. I am not physically, right? But it's when you look in the scripture in Romans 5, and it, I mean, it, it's just as if I'd never done it. That's how God sees me. I can go into his presence and it's justified just as if I'd never done it, right? And this is important, and this is where we're going to land, okay? It's important because... Let me say this right. As Jesus is our high priest, okay? And we've talked about before, he's the head and we're the body. And, you know, if, if we don't actually go out and be the body, then Jesus is just the head with a lot of really great ideas, right? Can't get anything done. Not because he can't, because it's the way he set up this, this, this thing that we do here. But as priests, what I guess I want to... Here's how I'll say it. The ministry is not a career choice. It's not something that you get your resume together for. It's not something that technically you have to go to college for. Paul didn't. Neither did Peter, James, John. They did just fine. Now, all due respect, if the Lord is calling you to go to seminary, if the Lord is calling you to go to school... Absolutely, do it. But what I want to get across is that we can't get into this, once I get this and this and this, then I will do it. That's just not how God rolls. Because everybody right now, wherever we are in our immediate world, there is an impact waiting to be made with your name written all over it. As a nation of, as a royal priesthood, a generation that God has called forth. He's just waiting for you to get off your butt. He's got plenty to do. And I say this to myself because I'm a, I got a day job and I work like a rented mule. If you've ever rented a mule, but it's like a rented car, you don't ever want to buy a rented mule, right? Don't buy a rented car, don't buy rented mules because they drive them worse, okay? Look, that's priceless. You, you can laugh, but that is priceless counsel right there. Someday you're going to look back, man, I should have listened to Darren. I bought a mule that was rented, and I, you know, that is relevant to your life, and you don't even know it. I got a day job, but if all I do is my day job and I plead, oh, man, I'm so busy, I don't have time. Because let me tell you what, you talk about somebody who could have pleaded busy, how about Jesus for a second, Okay. You talk about a dude that had a lot on his plate. But Jesus made time. Jesus, and this is where I mean, I talk to myself on this. Some of Jesus' greatest miracles were getting distracted on his way to do something else. He was really busy trying to get over to somebody's house to heal somebody. And he encounters people along the way. He's got to heal them. And meanwhile, the other person dies. He's like, oh, I'll just raise them from the dead. But it's, <laughs> but it's like, imagine, you know? If Jesus was too busy, you're not too busy. I'm not too busy. 
And I'm not going to wait. And you shouldn't wait until I can get unbusy or until I get here or once I can get, you know, once I get a job as a youth pastor or once I get this gig here, then I'll be able to really do this. And, and I'm just saying, man, cut that out. Right now, what's in front of you? What's the Lord saying right now? You know, is it conduit right here that you could be plugging in? Because we're all doing something right here, right? Just by showing up, we're here to search the scriptures and we're here to seek the Lord and hear his voice. And you're like, you know, I was just here to hang out. Well, you're here to seek the Lord now. <laughs> Jesus said we're to follow him. And I got news for you. Following means he's moving somewhere. And if you're sitting still, he's leaving you behind because <laughs> he's got places to go. You, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's kind of a, kind of a crass way of putting it, and not necessarily theologically sound for that matter. But but we, as a nation, a, a royal priesthood, all right, guys that have access to the throne, guys that have and girls that have access to mercy and to grace. Man, what's our response to that? If Jesus says that it's to love our neighbors and to love the Lord our God, then what does that look like? What is the flavor, the texture, the look, the feel, the smell, the experience of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love? And it is love. It's long-suffering. It's patience. You know, it's kindness. It's joy. Those are the things that are the fruit. And what I would say to you is that our lives are really to look like just a bunch of fruit trees running around like with samples. It's free sample day at the, uh, at the orchard. like Costco but with fruit trees <laughs> come sample I said it here but you know a guy at our church like two weeks ago said something that absolutely changed the way I think about things he was talking about the bride of Christ and he said if I see a bride at a wedding I don't come around away from the bride you know for the wedding that day going oh man she sounded great everything she said was right on you walk away from a wedding saying man she was amazing she was beautiful she had a countenance she was you know she looked just you know, fabulous and just if we're the bride of Christ and all we're doing is running our mouth all I'm doing is running my mouth you know when Peter says be ready to give I think it's Peter one of the epistles said to be ready to give an answer when they ask about your faith that sort of assumes that someone's asking and it really assumes that I'm giving them something to ask about right what is my fruit what kind of a taste test am I giving? You know what I'm saying? Jesus is our high priest. He is merciful. And to you, maybe that have been sitting on the bench, understand that this isn't heavy-handed. The Lord's not heavy-handed. He says, I get it. So I remember in Psalm, he says, I remember you're just dirt. We were reading this morning in Genesis, and it says, you know, from dust you came, from dust you will return, you're just dust. And thinking... Not very glamorous. <laughs> it's not very exciting, but it's true. And God says that He remembers that about you and He remembers it about me. He's not mad at you. He's not ticked off. He's just saying, okay, you've had your break. Come on back in. You've been sitting around for a while. Uh, we got stuff to do. We got kids in Haiti that are hungry. I mean, that's the best thing. There. I mean, I could just rattle off a list 10 long off the top of my head of stuff to do. There's plenty to do. Plenty to do. Whether it's, you know, like with Maddie, we're talking about, you know, I hope she won't mind me sharing this, but 
you know, even for her 16th birthday, we were talking about, you know, how the lunacy of Williamson County and, you know, MTV Sweet 16, all this stuff. And we started talking about, well, what if we give her birthday away? What if we create an event for her birthday where we're just giving it away through whether it's through the money or all the gifts or whatever that comes in all goes to a specific thing that she wants to do, whether it's Wells in Haiti or whatever. Just let the Lord lead you. Listen to Him. Listen to your high priest. Listen to Jesus. You're in the throne room of grace and mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. You are getting what you don't deserve, which is kindness and mercy. And our response to that, John says, First John, when he says that, how can you as... Uh, 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 how can you as a Christian or whatever the word was I'm getting it wrong but the, the gist of it is say that you love the Lord and not go to church and not go to you know no he didn't say that he said and not see your brother in need and not help him that's the that's the litmus test it's our love it's what Jesus says he says that on that day he's going to say to you you've done it unto the least of these he's not going to ask you about your attendance at church not going to ask you did you make it to Wednesday night service he's not going to you know again fellowship great right on spot on go for it it's just not high on Jesus priority list when it comes down to what he's going to ask you on that day he's going to say what did you do to the least of these because when you did it to them for those however many kids in Haiti right now that are eating breakfast on us he's going to say you did it to me you did it to me and that's what conduit is, gang. We're just hanging out with our high priest who's sympathetic to my stupidity. He's sympathetic to my ignorance. He's sympathetic to every time I get it wrong. And because of that, man, I just I love him so much. And because of that, I don't want to sit around being spiritually fat and theologically smart and knowing all the stuff that Jack Van Impey talks about. I don't mean, if that's all I ever get, then I've missed the point. I've said it before, but Jesus in three years had his disciples ready to go, right? If you've been saved more than three years, and we're going to talk about that next week about spiritual maturity, and, well, hopefully anyway, it's towards the end of chapter five, you never know. Um, we're, someday we're going to talk about spiritual maturity and what that looks like, but I want you to know, everybody in this room that I see, man, we're all mature enough to go out and do something for the kingdom. I know most of you, all of you, I think. Just put it in your pipe, smoke it a while, see what the Lord tells you. <laughs> pray about it see what the Lord would speak to you Father we uh, Lord I sure talked a lot tonight I sure hope that you spoke through me and I pray that you would um, not let my words be just clanging symbols but actually could somehow make sense of it all and uh, as we leave here tonight My prayer is that we would specifically, each of us, Lord, you've got something for each of us right now that we could be doing. Let us hear your voice, Lord. Let us, your promptings, your spirit to move in us in those directions. In Jesus' name, amen. Gang, the new covenant is this. In Jeremiah 31, it says, I will write my will on your mind and on your heart. You got an idea brewing around inside of you? Might just be the Lord might just be the Lord. Rexella? <laughs> no conduit next week. Yes, please. Here's why... You know, it's really funny. When we started this thing, I don't think anybody really, not the least of which was me, uh, 